Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church. Thank you to my lovely assistant, Kim Vanna White-Wilson. Uh, Chicky had ACL surgery, so she's down for a week, but she trained Kim. So, uh, got lots of assistance. Thank you. We are in Pergamum. Pergamum, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and we are in chapter 2, and we're now up to Pergamum. Pergamum, we already did Ephesus, we did Smyrna, and now we're in Pergamum. Pergamum, Jesus Christ knows where we live. And this is part one today. There's going to be three parts to this one. Revelation 2, 12 to 13, and then verse 17. Revelation is a vision given to the Apostle John. End times, which we think are very close. Close, close, close. And it has a lot to say to Christians in every age. And in chapters 2 to 3, Jesus writes seven letters to seven actual churches from that time. But he he applies these, these he applies and these apply to each one of our churches today and each one of us as individuals and they also represent seven historical phases prophetically which we'll hit on part three for this one okay so today Pergamum Pergamum if we look at the map here uh, it's 60 miles north of Smyrna it's modern day Bergama modern day Bergama it's 10 miles inland but it's still a very very important city a key city it was the ancient capital of Asia the name means Pergamum means citadel Citadel. Let's look at this picture. You can see the picture of what it used to look like an artist's rendition. It was an awesome city up on the cliffs here. It, think of Gondor in Lord of the Rings. Gondor. Remember the Gondor, that white city up on the hill, up on the, on the cliffs. That's what it was like. It was on an Acropolis. I say that ten times fast. Once again, another picture here. An Acropolis. This is what it looks like today. Up on this, this cone-shaped hill a thousand feet above the surrounding valley. That's what it was like. It was the intellectual center of Asia. It had a library with 200,000 books. Here's a picture of the library today, which is right next to the emperor's temple. It had 200,000 books. Egypt, which was competing with their library, tried to block them from making more books, so they wouldn't give them any more papyrus paper. So they developed their own system using animal skins, which were called parchment. We get the word parchment from the Latin word for Pergamum that evolved from that Latin word for Pergamum. And it turned out to be much better than paper. It lasted longer and, and it's much, much better. Now, in each of these letters to the seven churches, as we've already seen, there's the good, the bad, the warning, and the encouragement. We're going to look at number one and four today. We're going to look at the good and the encouragement. Next time, we're going to look at the bad and the warning. And then in part three, we're going to look at the prophetic historical phase that this ch church represents. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to your word. Whatever you're trying to say to each one of us, whatever encouragement you're trying to get, give to us, whatever conviction. And I pray, as always, that if anybody has never put their faith in you and they haven't taken that step of faith, true faith, in your son Jesus, that this would be the day. The day of your favor, the day of salvation. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, let's pick it up. I'm going to read the, the passage 12 through 17, first of all, but we're just going to cover parts of it. The angel of the church in Pergamum write, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. 
I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Okay, so let's look at verse 12 first of all, where Jesus starts out saying to the church, to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. A sharp double-edged sword. Where have we heard that before? The sharp double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12 and Hebrews 4.12 where it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, which I just remembered. I actually have one right behind me. I forgot, actually forgot about that. I don't know. I, just swords everywhere. You kind of don't notice them anymore. But this is what he's talking about. This kind of sword, the huge double-edged sword, is representative of the word of God. Okay? Word of God. And so, God's word is the sword of the Spirit, which we already know. We'll see that this sword here comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. It's his word. His word in the Bible. It's powerful. His word is powerful. It convicts Christians. It judges those who reject Jesus Christ, as we will see as we go through Revelation. Rome alone had the authority. At this time, Rome, the Roman Empire had, alone had the authority to use the sword to execute, to carry out capital punishment. So anybody in the province, <clears throat> they caught someone, a murderer, and they needed to be executed. They would send that person to Rome to be executed. But Pergamum had a special privilege. Pergamon had the privilege of the sword. They were allowed to execute people with a sword. They had this favored status. And so Christians in Pergamon lived under the threat of execution at any time, as we'll see. But Jesus is making a point here. He says, I have the ultimate power the ultimate power. I have the, the sword of power. And he's warning Pergamum. He's warning all of us. God, Jesus, they think they have the sword, but he, Jesus says, I have the sword, which we're going to see as we go through Revelation. Jesus has the true sword of power. Now, let's see what Jesus Christ's word to Pergamum and to us is. In verse 13, we see the good. <coughs> Excuse me. In verse 13, where he says, starts out with the good to Pergamum. And to us, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Woo, here we go. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. He, I know where you live. I know where you live. Now, usually that's a negative. I know, watch out, I know where you live. But that's not that. This is a positive. I knew, know where you live. He says, it's where Satan has his throne. This was a dangerous place for Christians. I know 
having a church in New Hope, when we first came 20 years ago, it was considered the, the witchcraft capital of the East Coast. Thankfully, it's no longer that. There's plenty of witchcraft still, but nothing like it once was. And we like to believe that our prayers had something to do with that. But even now, people will still say, I, I, I'm kind of afraid to come visit your church or come to your church. You get, get the willies. You know, I'm a little nervous. Listen, we need allies. Uh, if you're, if God's nudging you, pray about it. Come. We need allies here in New Hope. We don't, we don't need all the Christians to be afraid to come here. But, but a lot of people don't know there's lots of a cult here and people get a little nervous but listen it's okay jesus power the blood of jesus is much more powerful so need allies need allies but this with this is nothing new hope is nothing compared compared to pergamum as bad as it is was here and still can be here uh it's nothing compared to pergamum much worse there were many gods in pergamum which we know are demons any idol the bible says the demons and the the false gods are the 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 idols and the false gods are just demons trying to get worship steal worship from the one true god they had in pergamum an altar to athena the goddess of love right uh dionysus the god of vegetation. I know all the kids, boo, boo, we don't like that guy. We don't like our vegetables, right? Vegetables, right? They also had one, the Asclepius. Asclepius, I'm sorry. <clears throat> he was the god of healing, the god of healing. Uh, and let's see, let's show that picture. You can see the picture of Asclepius. This was the, Pergamum was the Mayo Clinic of the ancient world where they would mix medical and religious demonic uh, practices, treatments together. And the snake, you see the snake here? That was Asclepius. Uh, a picture, the snake was wrapped around the staff. That's where it first appeared was here in Pergamon, which we now use as medical s- signage. And, and the snake obviously is a picture of Satan. All right, wish we had a different symbolism for our med- medicine. But they also had the Zeus Olympus was here. Zeus Olympus Olympus was here. And uh, you look to the right of me, I got another picture here. It was um, located 800 feet up a cliff. And I'm just showing this first of all. The the theater, you can see the cliff the theater was located on. That's a, a picture of what it was like in Pergamum. But at the top of one of these cliffs, they had this Zeus's Olympus. And it was, uh, it was one of the ancient wonders uh, one of the wonders, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, one of the original seven wonders of the ancient world. It's actually, they actually found it and they reconstructed it and they took it to Berlin. Yes, if you want to see the reconstructed altar to the great altar to Zeus, which was up on top of this Olympus, the great altar to Zeus, you, you can go and to Berlin and see it today. And here's a picture of it. Once again, a picture. And this was up on top of that cliff. There's a picture of what it was like. It was 40 feet high. This altar to Zeus was 40 feet high. It looked like a giant throne. And it would be smoking all day long. They had fires burning and it was smoking all day long. You can imagine looking up on this cliff and this giant altar and it's smoking and how impressive and how scary that would be. Think once again Lord of the Rings. This is what reminds me of Lord of the Rings when they were going to Mordor. (coughs) Excuse me. Remember going to Mordor and Sauron's volcano. Remember that? Where they threw the ring in? Uh, Didn't want to give that away for anybody. But that that is a, a picture of what it must have looked like. But the clincher for all of this 
the clincher for all this is another picture, the temple of Trajan. The, the emperor Trajan, the emperor worship was a clincher for all this. The emperor worship, the temple of Trajan, it was the official center for emperor worship and all of Asia was here in Pergamum. Everybody was required to come and burn incense at the foot of the statue and say Caesar is Lord. They're acknowledging him as, as a God. And if you refuse this, you are immediately arrested and you could and, and you were kept in prison and if you couldn't be coerced into doing it, then you were executed on the spot. They had the power of the sword. Executed. All these gods, these demons, and emperor worship and this great altar to Zeus, smoking altar. No wonder Satan picked this spot as his throne. And out of the whole, whole earth, he actually picked Pergamum for his throne. He probably sat on that smoking throne, right? Yet, it, yet Jesus says to them, yet you remain true to my name. You live where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. It was a dangerous place, yet the remnant loved Jesus Christ and stayed faithful to him. He says, you didn't, re Jesus says, you didn't renounce your faith. Many, many recanted in the face of persecution. What did that show? They weren't real. Now, some who recanted did repent and come back and, and face, took their medicine, but, but most of, most of them were shown that re most, what persecution does is show who's real and who's not. And that's what persecution did here. It showed who was for real and who was not. It's going to be, it's happening all over the world, the true and the false. It's happening in the USA. Just the small persecution that's happening right now is already separating the wheat from the weeds, the sheep and the goats. We're seeing it already. And, and that's what happened. And he says, you remained, you didn't renounce your faith even in the days of Antipas. He was a doctor and a dentist who became a Christian, which really ticked off the establishment of that time. And <clears throat> and he, it's a picture of what happens if we don't go along with the world. We're going to be shut out. We're going to be expelled, right? And Antipas means against all. That's what the word actually means, against all. And, and Jesus calls him my faithful witness. My faithful witness, Antipas, my faithful witness. The word witness here is is martus does that sound familiar that's where we get the word martyr from and he was a martyr he was the first martyr in asia antipas he wouldn't burn the incense to the emperor and so they burned him they roasted him slowly in a bronze bowl that's what they did with antipas i don't know about you but i don't like that story i like the story of shadrach meshach and abednego a lot better right what we teach in Sunday school in America is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we need to start teaching about Antipas. We need to, as, especially as we approach the end times, we're going to see persecution. And sometimes God's going to miraculous deliver, miraculously deliver us. He could do it any time. But many times, we know from the book of Revelation, we are going to be martyred. It's part of God's plan. It's part of God's purpose. And if we're really serious about our faith, if we're truly Christians and truly living for Jesus, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12. I don't know if you get Voice of the Martyrs magazine or the, the on, online or on your phone. I don't know if you uh, follow Open Doors Ministry. But you, we see there's daily attacks all over the world. There are daily attacks. Muslims 
killing Christians in massive amounts. Buddhists even attacking the peaceful Buddhists even attacking them all over the place. The, the, the Hindus, you know, attacking them in India. The communists have been brutalizing Christians for years. I remember some years ago, uh, reading the story about what happened in North Korea. They were, they were constructing a road and as they're constructing a road, it collapsed and they found an underground bunker where a bunch of Christians were hiding in North Korea and they pull them all out and they found out they were Christians and they said, well, you better re recant, you better reject Jesus, you better renounce him now. They wouldn't do it. And so they, you know what they did with them on this road they're constructing? They laid them down toe to head and they start, and they took these, these rollers that they were crushing the road with and they started, <clears throat> they started rolling over them feet first feet first and then they roll up and, and the head was the last thing to be crushed. The, the vital organs of the head, the last thing to be crushed and, and not one of them renounced their faith. You know what they did instead? They were singing more love to thee, O Lord, more love to thee as they were crushed into eternity, into heaven, before the throne of God before the altar, which we'll see in Revelation. Listen, it's coming to the USA today too. It's already here, but it's going to come just like North Korea. It's going to be here too. And we, it's going to come a lot sooner than we think. We have to be ready. Now that's the bad news. The good news is Jesus says here, I know where you live. Jesus knows our situation. He, he's been there. He was crucified. He stands with us in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jesus stood with them. The fourth one, the Son of God standing with them. And he gives us this encouragement. I'm going to jump right to the encouragement. I'm going to come back to the, the other parts the next time. But the encouragement in verse 17, He who has an ear, <clears throat> let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Now we're going to deal with the white stone next time. But look, he says, I will give some of the hidden manna. Uh, to, I will, uh, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. The hidden manna. Now remember manna. When Israel was in the wilderness, God fed them. He gave them manna to eat while they were in the wilderness those 40 years to strengthen them. We as Christians, believers in this world today, are also in the wilderness. Just like the Jews were in the wilderness, we are in a wilderness, a spiritual wilderness, but we are promised by Jesus this manna also. Not regular bread, but wonder bread. Not, not something to eat, you know, not like they were eating, but it's something far more powerful. It was wonder bread. In fact, Jesus tells us what this bread is. In John 6.35, Jesus says, uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the fulfillment of that manna. Jesus will fulfill, will fill us. He will sustain us and strengthen us in the wilderness that we're in. It talks about this hidden manna because the world can't see Jesus. He's hidden from the world, but we can see him. We can, we, we feed on him. We depend on him. We get our strength from him. But also, the manna was hidden in the ark. Did you know that, that the ark of the covenant, Indiana Jones, the ark of the covenant where, where, uh, was what was kept in that ark one of the things that was kept in was a pot of the manna from the time of Moses and that manna didn't rot it stayed in that in that uh, that ark and that ark is a picture 
of Jesus Christ. That manna was hidden in the ark and it was kept in the ark and that's a picture of Jesus, the bread of life and how he is our manna. And when the temple was, and we, the ark is a picture, the ark is a type of Jesus, but the manna was kept there and Jesus is the bread of life. He is our manna. Now, when the temple was destroyed in the 6th, 6th century BC, the rabbinical legend was that Jeremiah took the, the, the ark and he took that manna out took that manna with that ark and he hid it in Mount Sinai somewhere. The ark and the manna is hidden in Mount Sinai somewhere. Somewhere. And the rabbinical <clears throat> uh, legend is that the Messiah, when he comes, will retrieve that ark. He will retrieve that manna and give it out in the Messianic age for us so we'll have manna once again. It already happened. It's already here. Jesus already came and he is the bread of life. He's already giving out that bread. That was a physical. He's giving out the spiritual bread to everyone who puts their faith in him. Whoever gives their life to him. Whoever is depending on him on a daily basis. We are saved by, by the, the bread of life by Jesus. But the, the eating it is a picture of the faith. Putting our faith in him. We put our faith in Jesus. But also we depend on that manna. We depend on Jesus on a daily basis. We are all in a spiritual wilderness in the world today. And the only way we're going to survive is the bread of life. It's Jesus Christ. We are desperately need that bread. That's what communion is so vital. That's why communion is so important. We, we, as our church, we celebrate it every month. Some celebrate it more, some less. There's no right or wrong way. Uh, the different traditions. But, re, but when we take communion, we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, what he gave for us. And when we take the, the, the Lord's Supper, we take the bread and the cup, we receive the Holy Spirit's grace in a special way. It, it, the Holy Spirit fills us in a, in a powerful, special way. And it's also a reminder to us to commune with him daily, on a daily basis. Jesus wants to connect with every one of us every day. Every hour, every minute, every second, he wants us to be depending and, and, and communing with him communing with him. He wants that relationship. And he knows where we live. Jesus knows where we live. He knows what we're going through. He knows what battles we're facing. He knows the persecutions that we are facing or going to face. He knows what's going on in our health with, with sickness and, and what we're battling with the coronavirus. He knows about our marriage. He knows about our family and our kids. He knows about the school, the team we're on, the friends struggles that we're having, the work battles that we face. He is with us. He knows where we work, where we live. And Jesus will give us the grace. He will give us the grace. He will fill us just like that manna. He will fill us as we're in his word and we're in prayer and we're being allowing him to fill us with his spirit through the worship. He fills us with his spirit. He knows where we are and he wants us to be closely connected to him. And you might be listening to this today and, and you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't have that relationship. Jesus is just a religious figure to you or you it, Christianity is just a religion it's a bunch of hoops you jump through you don't understand that it's a but you're finally coming to understand that it's a relationship by faith and Jesus wants to fill us and empower us and and, 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 and move through us and you're here today and you want Jesus Christ and you want his help if you're listening to this today and you, and you say I need Jesus I need his grace He's there for the asking. He's there for the taking if we put our faith in Him. We looked at John 6.35. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. But in John 6.47, a few verses later, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. He who believes, that's all it takes. 
believing. Now we know that believing and repenting are one and the same. We've talked about that many times. But that's, it's that repentance and putting your faith in Jesus that gives us eternal life. It's giving our life to Jesus and committing our life to Him and trusting in His death on the cross. He gave His body and blood, John 6, 30, John 6. But it's putting our trust in what He's done for us. I tell you the truth, He who believes has everlasting life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Do you want that manna? Do you want Jesus? Do you want his strength? Do you want his peace? Do you want his joy? Maybe your world has fallen apart with what's going on in our country today. But, it, but no matter what is falling apart around us, we can have an amazing peace that passes understanding if we will put our faith in Jesus, give our life to him. John 6:47 I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. You don't need a special ritual, you don't need a religious person, you don't have to jump through religious hoops. It's the prayer of faith. Jesus said one thing, he who believes has everlasting life. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. The prayer of faith the simple prayer of faith. The powerful prayer of faith. Jesus, I believe in you. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from everything in my life that goes against your word. I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for me, for my sin. I believe that you rose again from the dead to give me a brand new life. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I give my life to you. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, if you've believed in Jesus, the Bible says that you have just been given life. The life this very second, a brand new life with the Holy Spirit's power. You can call on Jesus at any time. You can depend on Him for anything. You can take His hand anytime. And He will carry you through. But it's a life that goes on through all of eternity. Forever, for God so loved the world, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You now have life forever starting this very second. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've taken that step of faith, that you have this new life. You have a family member who is a Christian or a friend who is a Christian or somebody at work or or you know of a good church locally, and if you don't have anybody to tell, tell me. Send me an email, nhcc at comcast.net. I will be excited for you and help you get connected and grow in your new life. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? We have manna. <clears throat> we have supernatural strength available to us anytime. But so often we just go through life living our own life without depending on Jesus. But maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you about complete dependence, depending on God's mercy and grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that, that being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18-20. Father, I pray that every one of us would, be, would be, know for sure we have Jesus and life and we would be filled on a daily basis with the power of Jesus Christ, especially as we move forward in this country and in this world where there's so much persecution, increasing persecution. We know from the book of Revelation, it's just going to get hotter and hotter. We are going to completely need you. But Lord, it starts today. It starts depending on you and these little things that we're battling, little, uh, big things that we're battling even now that are preparing us for the ultimate battles that we will face. I pray every one of us would be ready for Jesus when he comes again. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, listen to the next one. I'll be putting it out very quickly, part two and then part three. There's, I couldn't fit them all in one. So I think uh, the next one gets even hotter, okay? This was our encouraging one. The next one is some warnings. Don't miss it. See you next time.